Howdy there, folks. Tex the Black Pants Legion here, and welcome to the BPL Podcast. Again, I am on a crusade to become the number one BPL podcast out there, because there is also the other BPL podcast, the Berkeley Public Library. Berkeley! Berkeley! <laughs> so, uh, d- first of all, please don't send them hate mail or give give them my mail. That wouldn't be terrifying. This is all in jest. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we really I'm don't sure hate them. I'm sure it's a fine library. I'm sure it's a great library. If you're in the Berkeley area and you you've never been shame on you yeah you should go visit your local library always support your local library except when it's covid yeah Yeah, don't don't don't, go in there don't cough on the books yeah we need those we need those (laughs) all right so um over on my right is grakek himself from the star trek game a musical talent of note in the legion a man who can sing happy birthday and hms pinafore mr kobold hello and on my left is Mr. Mike, the editor du jour of the Black Pants Legion. Hello. All right. So, first of all, gentlemen, uh, cheers to all of us on yes. this fine day, fine company. Let cheers. Me reach across the table. There you go. Cheers. Hold on. Oh, I got a cheer. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Ah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, there you go. There we go. Long table. All right. There we go. So, Kobold and I are drinking Tater Vodka. And uh, we also all have tea. Yes. Mike has just got tea. Uh, just so you know, um, if you ever decide that I'm going to do audio engineer and yeah. drink, yeah. Uh, those do not mix. Yeah, I, which... I know. The last time I had the vodka and I handed the bottle over to Mike and he's like... Yeah, you know, I, I took a whole mouthful because I wasn't. I didn't expect that, it to just hit me back. No, and then I'm yeah. sitting there like... <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've worked with, with music and audio and I, I can say that's completely reasonable and justified. Yeah, uh, we tried to run a Star Trek game, remember? <laughs> yeah, okay, that was my that was also on my back. Yeah, we so I was out here visiting Tex. Uh, this was way before I moved out here, and we had uh, a game we were at one of the Star Trek games. I think it was like the middle of I think it was like episode 10 of the series or whatever. Uh, I had quite a bit to drink beforehand and I didn't set up any of the streaming equipment. So I'm just sitting there like, all right, I could do this. And I'm plugging things in. And I'm like, oh yeah, I need a microphone. Oh yeah, I need a USB. <laughs> Was that the oh, one yeah. that had like two false starts and then you were like, oh, okay, just just call it off today. Yeah. No, that that also had technical difficulties. It did. Yeah, that, that, was, yeah. that, was, that was an all booze. And it, at that point we were deep. And dude, it was, yeah. it was look, we're going to do what the networks do. Oh, technical I, I difficulty. Am, I am a cheap drink. Uh, uh, yes, yes, you are. You are a cheap. You're not even drinking. I'm a cheap drink. Yeah. And walk up to a bartender and say that, and he's like, "You've had enough." Yes. Like, no, I'm I the am. designated driver. Just I'm a cheap a, drink. Yes, I have already had too much to drink, and I'm just drinking tea. <laughs> oh my god. All right. So I'm already starting to sound like NPR. I've already had too much to drink. I, I've had too much Earl Grey. Welcome to NPR. Today we're going to talk about the mating habits of. Rabbits. Surely you jest. Surely. Uh-huh. Green teas are superior uh-huh. to black. You're really good at that. Thank you. No, that, that's what NPR does, because yeah. they'll be like, this hour, we're going to talk about the elephants as found in the San Diego Zoo. And and that is the news from Lake Wobegon. <laughs> we're all the wind. <laughs> God, I'm not going to do his whole okay. shtick. Yeah, let's not do I that. miss you, Garrison Keillor. All right, so. He was wonderful. Oh, he was wonderful. So. All right, three minutes in. We haven't even got to where we're going. <sighs> Nice. Way to ride my ass. No. So, this <laughs> podcast is about the weird, wild, and wonderful world of sci-fi. We've talked about sci-fi in many a podcast, from the great and mighty deeds one can commit as a Starfleet captain to the absolute grim darkness 
of the 41st millennium. Mm. Today is about sci-fi, but mainly its themes, what grabs you, and how it's made an impact on your world. So, Cobalt, start us off. What was your initial experience with sci-fi, your initial exposure to sci-fi? What was your first love in sci-fi? The, the first really strong experience I can remember is just uh, in middle and high school when uh, I would just stay up uh, late at night and I, I couldn't go to sleep. It was, you know, an- anxiety all the time. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and in order to lull myself to sleep, I would just turn on the TV and watch these really old, really crappy, really cheesy science fiction movies that they would show on uh, Sci-Fi Channel and a few others. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. The bad sci-fi movies. Yeah. yeah, yeah where, it's, where they're made with like eight bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, you know, maybe 11, 12, 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. They would flip on these these movies that were just like, you know, nobody's going to watch these. We've got to show something. Yeah. We got to fill air. So might as well put this noise up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So would, just your first love was like shitty sci-fi. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my first love. Like, I remember coming home. When I was uh, in in junior high, and they had Star Trek every day at 4 p.m. on the local channel before it turned over like motocross or tractor pulls or whatever. This is rural Texas. But um, I also fell in love because my mom loves used books. So we'd go to the used bookstore, mm-hmm. and there would be all those pulpy novels with those amazing painted covers that would have yeah. like a fucking giant cyclops shooting lasers at people. And there's some guy with like a 30, 30 Henry shooting back at it, you know? And, and it, it would, you know, or just like what I'd like to call wizard or wizard van art. You know yes. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you'd have the wizard van art covers where it's like a guy. A wizard, so imagine you have yeah. like a, a conversion van and you yeah. have like, you know, your, your mural that you'd paint yeah, on the it, side it, for people who don't understand that. Yeah, well, I, I think wizard van art is its own subset of art, where yes. it's it's in, in it, it's wizard van art is different from Transam hood art, which is yes. another subset. Absolutely, because wizard van art is pretty much seventies, and it's driven by like metal themes, so like Dio mm-hmm. and so on. Well, my my thought is I've I've, I've been kind of into this lately. Uh, the, the thing that stands out to me. It reminds me of those 50s movie posters. Yes. Just like progressed into the future. Yeah. So so it's like atomic punk kind of. Yeah. 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 Where it's like. And you, you've got like these ads. really striking characters and these crazy poses and stuff. And, you know, it catches your eye. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right on that. What was your first exposure to sci-fi? Mike? Oh, uh, my first exposure to sci-fi was probably the uh, era of 80s movies that I had to watch as a kid. Probably Predator, I'd say, was the first one. No I, shit. It was the nice. first time I ever okay, seen a wait. sci-fi movie, but was, I was I was like, you have to understand, I was like six. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, no, my family, like, they put all kinds of stuff uh, on TV. But, uh, yeah, no, I watched Predator, but I didn't really appreciate Predator because I watched it as a little kid, and I'm like, this movie's scary. I don't like it. Um, mm. So uh, I ended up finding it a real appreciation for it as an adult because I ended up playing this game in 1998 called Unreal because um, I was a big fan of first-person shooters already and Quake and all that stuff. But Unreal, like, made me go realize, like, damn, this is, the, this is that Predator movie, but in, like, another planet yeah and it was i I, I remember that feeling too because um yeah video games hadn't quite proliferated quite as much by that point yeah and so unreal had this really unusual like visual style to it and you looked at it and it was like it felt like a ridley scott movie yeah there's something different going on here this this is you know it 
tr- you know, scratching some itch in my brain. Yes, no, it worked out really well. No, my first sci-fi game was uh, probably like, I mean, does Wolfenstein count? I mean, it's no. kind of. I no. Mean, you got Mecha Hitler. Yeah, but that's barely. That, that's more pulp. Yeah. Pulp okay, so yeah, Pulp Adventure. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, Metal Gear Solid's probably the most sci-fi. No. Yeah. My, my first sci-fi game was Star Trek 25th Anniversary. I didn't play it. Uh, I watched my grandmother play it, and I went, nope. <laughs> that, that was, that that was, was so fucking hard that it's was a pixel was, hunting game it was a hard game and you have to hit the pixels in the right order otherwise you're fucked in the right timing yes and yeah that, that was that was an unforgiving game yes it is i remember another star trek game i think it was on the super nintendo mm-hmm. that uh my friends and i would bring it out as a joke because we'd all tried and tried and none of us could figure out how how to progress in the game we would get you know like five minutes into it and then everybody would die every single time we tried mm-hmm. everything we could think of yep god yeah there have been a lot of bad star trek games <laughs> they haven't really made any good ones i i mean people are like oh but this game and that i'm like no i just i'm not seeing it like people like you know armada oh no armada was yeah. solid yeah armada is like armada one of the only ones great. i liked but yeah, i mean there, there was the um and 25th anniversary of course even there, though it's fucked up i like yeah, that game there, there was the voyager one where it was like a first yeah, person elite shooter force. elite force <laughs> and elite force yeah. 2 which yeah. took place on picard ship <sighs> yeah <laughs> the uh, enterprise e or uh, yeah sovereign class Ugh. Uh, i don't like the sovereign class I'm it's sorry. too big it's 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 like it's like um driving grandma's car it's you know honestly, what i mean where, where you get into the giant I, fucking no i mean you get into the giant cadillac this like yeah. eight counties long yeah it's just big they no, were like <laughs> we need something that fills the screen you know that's like, what they said the enterprise d was a lot like a cadillac but the enterprise e was like a the cadillac Fleetwood Brome. Yeah, it was like the upgraded version with all the technical shit put in it, and the, the mm-hmm. old people who write for that were like, oh yeah, this is the future. Bigger's better. My windows roll down <laughs> with the pressure of a button. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right on that. <laughs> but I mean, the bridge on the E is so big. Like, you see people walk yeah, around, and, then, and it's and then like, Riker, hey, can you hand me the, that fucking thing I need? And Riker's like, like, I'm they, going manual mode in a logic They need little golf out. carts just to move around the bridge. Yeah. Like, yeah, and go and Riker had the fucking Logitech fucking jo- Hotas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to go manual mode. Why? If if a ship likes the okay, if a ship like that has to stop relying on computer input, everyone dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, Apollo thirteen. Those guys had to stop using computer input because they had computers Earth side that told them what to do. Like, okay, hold down the gas pedal for this many seconds and then cut it off. But if they didn't have that and they had to get out chalkboards and shit, you would have had a bunch of dead fucking astronauts. That was in the 60s. When you have something that's like a thousand meters long driving at warp or whatever, and the guy's like, hold on, I gotta go manual. I'm sorry, the human brain is like the size of a fucking pea. There's no way that doesn't end with everyone going through the bulkhead. (laughs) All right, I forgot to turn the inertial dampeners on. So No, seriously. (laughs) I mean, it'd just be like everyone presses into their seat, passes out, and dies. Yeah. So and the ship eventually just stops. Well, and that's the thing is like one of my first big and and this is one thing I want to ask you guys is the first yeah. big brain sci-fi thing, the first thing that just poured the water in the pot and got that planet growing in your head, going, oh. And I'm going to tell you what mine was when I was in high school. This is the late nineties. No, yeah, mid to late 90s. When I was in high school, for the first time, I was at the local cheap used bookstore. And I remember, I remember for like 
50 cents, they had this pile of books that was just in a bin. And it was books that had, you know, come in from church sales and rummage sales and shit like that. And these were books that had some wear, you know, like the dust jackets were all torn up. And, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd seen some rough years. But I was poor as fuck. I was working in high school, had a part-time job. Gas was expensive. Well, for then. Yeah. But I remember going into that bin and I said, I'm just going to grab a book and I'm going to read it. It was Frank Herbert's Dune. Oh, shit. Yeah. And it was, it was a 1970s <laughs> copy of the book. And, and so I read Dune. And that book ate my life because I read it. And it was one of those things where you read a chapter and then you sit back and think about it. And your brain just chews on it slowly. You know, so you're just like, holy fuck. They're talking about, you know, uh, Kynes, the planetologist, is sitting there talking about how to turn a desert into not a desert. And it's done in simple language. And you go, fuck, this is an amazing concept. Like, the whole planet's a desert. Well, it doesn't have to be. There's this water cycle. And if you plant these seed grasses in these places, and then in 20 years do this. And I'm like, shit. And then you realize this is a universe with so much depth because you have FTL that is monopolized by this guild that can. and, And the only reason that it's monopolized by this guild is because in the long ago past and it's barely talked about in the book in the long ago past they had a cybernetic revolt and as a result of the cybernetic revolt they said oh um there were religious reforms there was actually a luddite movement and you find that thou shall not make machine in the likeness of man's mind and so they smash all the machines So you have humans who have taken the spice melange and they become prescient and they can see possible future paths. These are the guild navigators. Again, something 40K ripped off. And you find that it's been monopolized by these people who are almost a monastic sort of weird quasi-religious order. And they have all these own rules. And you find out that every little group from the navigators guild to the Bene Gesserit to the great houses of the Landsrod, to the emperor. They all have their own stories and backgrounds. And you find all these wonderful quotes, like one of the quotes of the guild is, never govern. And you start thinking about that. And at first, <laughs> when, when you're young and you read that book, and I, I handed it to my dad. I, I handed, Sorry, I really yeah, like that. No, it's brilliant. I really like that. No, there's infinite quotes in Dune that are so good. Fear is the mind killer. I think about that as an adult when I get mm-hmm. anxiety. Oh, yeah. Fear is the mind killer. It is the little death. And I think about that and I'm like, you're right. It brings total obliteration. Yes. Yes. And so I think about that and I go, holy shit. And you, and you let it pass over you and through you. Yes. <laughs> and and it's, it's one of those things where you, there's all these layered elements and you sit there and go, this is like the perfect book. And my dad read it. And he's like, oh, these guild guys are like OPEC. And my dad was an oil engineer. So, you know, he, he just saw it in literal terms. Yeah. But I later read uh, that Frank Herbert said, yeah, the guild is OPEC hmm. with layers. And so you have this interesting, beautiful, beautiful world where people are so far removed from open warfare that artillery, Baron Harkonnen getting artillery made on order is this luxuriant and crazy thing because no one uses that anymore because open warfare is forbidden. And so he's like, oh, yes, I will have artillery made. And, you know, you look at these things, all these little elements in Dune. And I mean, I, I could talk about Dune for like 10 hours, but it's it's one of those things that just grabs me in my gut. And the main reason I think 
that I love Dune is that they follow this one thing, and I am arriving at my point. And that is, in sci-fi, you have two choices for your universe. One is, explain everything line by line. Who, what, where, and where, why, every last little thing. And the other is, hide things. Have people dig and dive and delve for it. Don't say, oh, yes, that's so-and-so who's son of so-and-so. As you know, they're the leader of blah, 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 and they have their technology, do-do-do-do-do. No, it's just, it's from the standpoint of a person living in that universe, they don't think about, oh, who invented the wheel or who invented and, the light bulb? And, and I, th I think I think one of, the, uh, one of the best things you can do to go about that is uh, to use misinformation, legend, and unreliable narrators. Yes, because, like... One of the examples I use for this is, is the way to do it wrong, and this is the best example of this, is Lucasisms. Prior to the prequel novels, Mike, what was the Force? Uh, the Force was this unknowable energy that you just had access to. Ac access to, if, if you tuned yourself into it. Yeah, if, if it, you was, like, it was if, like a, a monk who had to practice and practice, yeah. and some, you know, just didn't have it. Yeah, so, and, and it, was, mm -hmm. it was a thing where if you tuned yourself into it, it flowed through everything, you could control this mysterious, unknowable power. They were like, yeah, they were knights and monks at the same time. Yeah. The, the idea was like, you know, if you uh, put yourself forward into it, you could do it. And everyone in the universe is like, well, that's just fucking ridiculous. I mean, sure, yeah, you can move things with your mind. Wow, real fucking yeah, great. <laughs> as Kobold said, misinformation and legend, because unless someone saw it, yeah. Because look at what Han Solo says. Yeah. In episode four, he's like, oh, that's just balderdash and, you know, that's, yeah. that's fancy religious Yahooism. Yeah, don't and, believe it at yeah. all. And even Vader's guys don't believe it. Oh, your devotion to that old witchy religion or whatever he says. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. No, it's like a religion and ancient weapons won't do any, won't be able to get you like a blaster on your side or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and people who are next to it dismiss it until they see it. And then they're yeah. like, holy shit, he choked that guy with his fucking mind, you know? And yeah. so you have that moment. The problem is, is then George Lucas is like, and by the way, those of you out there who love Tech Stocks Battletech, at a certain point in editing, I start doing uh, George Lucas impersonations because I'm so tired. So this is, I, I've worked on this. And Mike can tell me how good I am or bad I am, but this is my George Lucas. You're absolutely horrible, but I love it. Uh, thank so, you. Yeah. So, mm. Uh, yeah, uh, what if, um, what if, uh, the, the thing that was the force, uh, what if, uh, it was, uh, bacteria? <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible George Lucas. No, it I, sounded like, you sounded like a Mountie. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, you I, did I, sound I, pretty I, Canadian. Okay, yeah. yeah, I did do Youper. Um, <laughs> no, usually you're higher pitched than that, but. Yeah, yeah, no, don't, don't, I, it's, it's hard for me to do high pitch. I know you, I know. It's, yeah. So, no, no, let me, I mean, isn't it usually like, oh, yeah. That's uh, it. Yeah, exactly. okay. Yeah, God, that hurts. I, I'm not doing it. Okay. Everyone's going to hear me do a Mountie, but. That's the, okay. The, no, it's fine. The, the point is, the point is, you find the idea of it's lost in mystery, it's lost in legend, it's mm -hmm. obfuscated by time versus, no, it's bacteria. Well, the, the magic the magic thing about about using legends and stuff is you can have, uh, you know, a, a hard sci-fi setting where you have these concrete rules and these hard explanations and stuff. It's not all wishy-washy like peop some people complain about, but at the same time, you, you don't actually have to explain it. No, you don't. And that's that's kind of the issue I have with, like, old 40K lore and new 40K lore. Old 40K lore, 
you weren't sure what was true, what was propaganda, what were lies, very dystopian. And mm. it was very much uh, a viewpoint of each faction had an individual voice mm. as to here's what the truth is. And that was interesting. So yeah. people could debate. Here's what happened. Yeah, you, would, you, would, you would read the the um, uh, Space Marine propaganda. Then you'd read the Imperial Guard propaganda, which completely contradicted that. Then you would wonder about the civilian life, which was going to be completely. Yeah. And, and so so it was interesting because there were missing pieces mm-hmm. and you would go, oh, I wonder what's going on over here. The new stuff just says, no, here to literally here's exactly what happened. And everyone knows. And it's mm-hmm. it's that over explanation. I find it in the universe is demeaning to the person who enjoys the universe. And. Again, a lot of people go, oh, Tex hates 40K. No. No, I I do. That's fine. I'll do it for you. No, no. I I love older 40K. Yeah. I love that Andy Chambers era. But I hate Games Workshop and what they've done to it. And and I, I keep saying that, but people still, you know how it is. Fanboys being fanboys. It's whatever. So like what you like. Yeah. Like what you like. Mm. And if I don't like what you don't like. I'm, I'm very, I'm very much hard on it as well, but that's, it's, it's because I love the idea of 40 K and the, the setting. And I, I would love to see settings set or, or stories set in the nooks and crannies, exploring the, the little like low level, small stories and interesting things that go on in settings. But all I see is just streams of, and then the space Marine stomped an alien. Yeah. Then the space Marine showed up the eight foot guy with his chainsaw sword and his fucking 75 caliber machine gun wielded around and Ave Imperator, everyone dies. And that's neat. That's the, cool, sure. Yeah, for a comic book, period. Like, if you're reading a comic book, you want to read a comic book about Space Marines. You're you know reading what? a novel. If I had to nuke this setting, I, w- I would turn the entirety of what Game Workshop has done into propaganda for the Space Marines. See, that sounds like a good idea. So everything people hear and read about the Space Marines, you know, and it's like, oh, the secrets and the untold stories yeah, of the Emperor. Can, and it's I like... I can totally see that working, like, yeah, actually that, really I mean, well. Yeah, like, then that could you know, work you, well. You have this person reading this book, and it's like, and then there were the, the, the Primaris Space Marines. They were even better, and they're, they're yeah, well, out they, there saving they, us. They were larger. And, yeah, and, 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 and like, you know, they're revolutionizing and reviving the technology, and, and we're going to turn the tide and win the war. Then the guy looks up from the book and it's just, you know, a wave of horrible, you know, alien monstrosities washing over him and there's nobody to save him. Yeah, see, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Or or he looks up at the Marines and it's just a bunch of dudes like yeah. fucking <laughs> hanging out at the bar. Sup, bro, I'm a space marine. Space up, bro. Like they they have they just look normal. Yeah, just normal guys. <laughs> They're like, aren't you supposed to have pollen? I'm like, dude, we don't get in dress blues. That's weird. Oh, that would be crazy. Like, so the armor that they wear in the comic books is really just field dressing. Oh, <laughs> That would be cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah. so it would it, honestly like you can continue to play the comic book version of 40K and then you have the 40K that's more grounded in realism. But that's just me. Well, yeah, but you can't have both because the thing is, yeah. if you want to gonna diverge. Yeah, very quick. Exactly. And, and that's the thing is because they don't know what they're doing. Modern 40K has become unintentional self parody. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the issue I have with it. And I, I know I I disagree on a great number of things with a great number of people. Again, you can like what you like. Yes. Don't worry about it. And also, don't get mad at me. I I really know nothing about 40k other than what I've seen from memes and uh, what I've been told by Tex and some of the books he's shown me. Yeah. Uh, I have a very limited knowledge of the setting. Um, and that's fine. It's almost it's okay. to a point of disinterest until we start uh, our game, which is coming up. Yeah, 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 I'm nervous about that. Yeah. I'm nervous about that. But you know it's what? Okay. Like Kobold says, I'm doing a story in the margins. 
of imperial society. And that's, that's where I'm writing in because I realize everyone talks about the heroes and the great people. This is not going to be that kind of story. Yeah. And I love that. You know, here's the other thing. Yes. If we're talking about sci-fi, we have to talk about Star Trek. Of course it was going to lead back into it. Like we, we can't escape it. We can't escape it. Star Trek's the universe that just seems to keep on giving. Here's what I love about Star Trek. So you have like a third world war. Yes. You have scientists who are like, I'm going to create superior people and solve the problems. And that leads to like eugenics wars. And then you have all of this suffering. And then this one guy builds the warp engine. One guy. One guy. And Zephram Cochran. And he fucking, you know, he's a greedy bastard. Yes. And he, he jumps off and he's like, I'm going to make billions of dollars. And he, <laughs> he just jumps off into space and just so happens Vulcans are passing through the system at that time. First contact as a result. We join the galactic community. And then as a result of growing up, we create this utopian society after so much suffering. Not, not just we create a utopian society because it's good, but so much suffering and war and death. And finally, we grow up. And then we have a future where people go out bravely to the stars and explore things and bring back science and bring back information and greet new people. And it's the best of humanity. I would imagine a lot of people would probably say that that is like the the Gene Roddenberry vision. Yeah, is it, like it is. Where you know we're 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 coming from a, a bad place and we're going to a good place and the future and technology and exploration are good. They're going to be great. They're going to be amazing. Let's let's yeah. go for it. And he embraced that sort of rocket atomic age mindset of like we came out of the ashes of World War Two. Yeah, and now we're going to have this beautiful future. He was a pilot himself. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, he had a love for the he had a love for the future and the stars and technology, yeah. and and he saw hope in it. And I, I love that because Star Trek is noble, bright, whereas Forty K is grim, dark. Mm-hmm. But it still has that dark underpinning. Mm-hmm. It still has that dark underpinning. Star Trek is from the so, from the view of the Starfleet. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. you you really don't. I, as I said, I, I like seeing the outside look of that. Like, what what is everyone else doing? Because we're all kind of grounded in reality. Yeah. of a situation, and, and, and we go, you know, okay, like for example. The UN is a great idea. We all like the idea of... Uh, United you know, Nations. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. The UN is a great idea. But we also have this capability <laughs> of, you know, um, reading. And and <laughs> so we read things that are disquieting about it. You know, yeah. like, like the real shit that goes down where they fail and people die and what have you. So it's one of those things where you see the noble bright, you know there's a dark edge to that that's off screen like yeah. section 31 and mm-hmm. stuff like that and 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 it, it kind of it kind of goes back to uh the previous point about misinformation where uh i don't know if they even intend it but sometimes you can find stories about that in the things they don't say right mm-hmm. reading between the lines that's what makes it fun uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Were you going to ask anything about Star Trek in particular? No, or, I, 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 uh, I just gonna, said because I wanted to ask Kobold. No, go ahead uh, about about his because uh, Kobold was playing the character Grakek in our Star Trek game, um, and, and I you're wanted like, to, how good a DM was I on a scale of ten? And then he points a gun slowly, <laughs> <laughs> Mister Bond. Yes. Uh, um, no, I I want to know like what what was your experience of Starfleet? Because I don't know what your knowledge was prior to getting into Star Trek the game. Like, what was your knowledge of Star Trek? Let's see. Not not a whole lot more than just the TV shows. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I'd watched a lot of the original series, just piecemeal. I'd watched um, pretty much all of The Next Generation and uh, then, you know, pieces of 
DS9 and Voyager. Actually, I'd watched all of Voyager, uh, all of DS9 by the point. Okay, okay I, was say, yeah. I was gonna say if you'd watched all of Voyager, I was gonna be like, <laughs> I, I no no hey, uh, I did it, but nobody's really surprised. But I, well, one one day <laughs> one day it was like just a little bit before Star Trek. I sat down. I was like, I'm gonna watch Star Trek, and I just sat down. I watched all of TNG and I watched all of DS9. I fell in love with DS9. And DS9's start, great. And I started to watch all of Voyager, and I got like you know a couple seasons in. I'm like, oh god. And yeah. I just like See, looked up the in, uh, interesting episodes. Yeah. So, so exactly. So like with Voyager. There's the pre seven of nine episodes. And the pre seven of nine episodes are really a slug, man. <laughs> there are there's two. Some, yeah, there are two good characters in Voyager. Um, seven doctor? of nine and the Doctor, yep. and mm-hmm. and those two people, Jerry Ryan and Robert Picardo, are bailing the whole time. Like yeah. the Doctor <laughs> is great. You want to see a whole series on the Doctor? Seven of nine, fish out of water, learning to be a human mm-hmm. again interesting character yeah well they, they I, I will say janeway is interesting but for all the wrong reasons <laughs> there's coffee in that nebula yeah. <laughs> i i just feel bad for robert picardo and jerry ryan like they had massive fucking back problems after that show was done because they carried the whole fucking thing <laughs> oh nice <laughs> yeah you know believe it or not i looked it up uh fun fact uh robert picardo has a veal recipe called veal picardo oh Interesting. I, 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 I want to find that. If anyone out there listening, okay. That sounds like an NPR fact. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, next up, Robert Picardo on Italian American dishes. No. Um. So here's here's the thing. Um. If anyone has any questions or comments, by the way, go to Anchor.fm our channel. Just look up Black Pants Legion Anchor FM. That is the homepage of the Black Pants Legion because on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places. You'll find our satellite sites, but the home page of it is on Anchor FM. Somewhere on that page is the ability to leave audio messages. Yes. And if you want to leave comments, questions, or ideas, leave them there. Yes. And we put them into the podcast because we have gotten really tired of checking the email and downloading like 10,000 messages and then putting them into Word and then formatting them all because every time we do that, it takes hours. And then me reading it after having... I like, like how you put they in there. It's literally just you having to do yeah. all that by yourself. <laughs> Look, I like to act like we have a team. No, <laughs> no I, we are we are a team. Just in that aspect, you have to carry the burden because I know no, most of those messages are personal to you. And you Well, know. you have to understand, I am really uncomfortable with the notion of being seen as like the the guy in charge. No, I so know. I try to always spread the goodness out among people. Yeah. That's like when you look at like Text Talks Battletech, I, I cite every person who helped me even for five minutes. Oh yeah, uh, I, it's just because I, I feel. Yeah. Like I mean, I, I I clearly remember the the credits of the last one. It's like this giant section of the video. It's like look at all these people and like yeah. a lot of people who didn't have anything directly in the video itself. They just helped you out at one point, yeah, and then it's like at the very end, it's like oh, and also text was here. Well, it, <laughs> it's just I, I I feel really nervous because I, I see ego as really dangerous, yeah. and it's 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 one of those things where like it's the same reason you know. Like with the Patreon, when the Patreon comes in, I, I give a lot of money away. Yeah. In fact, I only keep enough to pay taxes on the on the Patreon money, and and that's because I I feel like guilty. You want to you want to hear you want to hear something, Maggie? Yeah, please. You said fear is the mind killer, ego is the soul killer. 
Nice. That's oh no, I like that. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a sharp knife for the brain. I, I like that. Yeah, no, it's it, good. Yeah, I, I mean, and you're somebody who genuinely cares much about the soul that you put out and well, within. It's yeah. it's one of those things, and I know we've diverged from Star Trek, but I think this is an excellent train of thought. You know, for just talk. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get back sure. to Star Trek. I want to ask no, no, you no. about your experiences. And no, no, we'll just, get back to it. But yeah, the the, the thing is. My, my grandfather, who, you know, you have to understand, he grew up in the Great Depression, eating out of garbage cans. He lied to get into U.S. military service. He joined the Army at, like, 16. He was at Kasserine Pass. He was all through World War II. He was in the Army 37 years. So he saw World War II, Korean War, Vietnam. And he was this font of advice, mm-hmm. just outpouring font of advice. And he said, never, ever get popular or rich before you are wise. And I, I think about that now as an adult, like, you know, when someone's fucking wise or smart, when they throw those dice of wisdom and they roll double sixes, when you're an adult that many years later, he died when I was a kid and I still think about the shit he said, you know? So he said, never get rich or powerful or popular before you are wise. Yeah. Well, one of the things I've noticed, especially with the rich aspect, is when, when you have a properly wise person and they, they wind up coming into a lot of money, you know, they get really successful and they, yeah. they get a lot of money. Sometimes with the popularity, too, they just disappear. Yeah. They, they, they you know, they say, this is my peak. If I keep going, I'm going to overstep my bounds. Things yes. are going to start going worse and worse. I'm going to risk more and more. Why don't I just retire right now? It's well, fine. you see that with like some um, professional artists. Yes. And you see that with some like um, the, fo- football players and stuff like that. And the anxiety mm-hmm. of having to constantly compete with your previous success is like oh, a yeah. nightmare to have. I to mean, live and, with. And, and the the upcoming new talent. Oh every yeah. Year. Well, in, yeah. in the ultimate the ultimate specter of yesterday's man, where you're fighting yesterday's dude, and like especially in sports. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah. Wow. You know, if you really want to learn the uh, quick path to understanding that uh, the pursuit of happiness is a part of life. Uh, be an artist because you'll find out as soon as you find that one little bit of success and that is constantly expected of you, you'll quickly learn that the pursuit of happiness is probably not in the success of well, your art. Well, I can, I can, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. I was just going to add on to that. I can, I can remember very clearly, uh, um, when I, when I was going to music, I was, I was looking at music as a real career as, mm-hmm. as a performance and, uh, like constantly we would be you know practicing these these devilishly hard pieces and we'd oh, be yeah. mastering them and we'd be saying yeah we're doing pretty good we can we can do this on a professional level then somebody would come up with with you know a video they say hey check this out and some 12 year old kid oh, who's like god. barely wraps around the, the instruments like and you're like oh my fucking god what am i doing yeah just constantly well yeah and, and that's that's the ultimate thing and i i think if you guys out there look at it you'll find youtubers and i consider myself a grade D YouTuber. But if you look at YouTubers, um, you'll find that people get big for their wise. Yes. And smart. And, 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 oh my God, it's, if anything drums that into your head. And one thing I can remind you guys, be fucking humble, take care of people and don't look down on anyone unless you're going to help them up. I, I like that the Black Pants Legion's YouTube channel is like that nice, comfy bar in town that everyone knows about but will not tell the tourists oh don't yeah don't fucking because people who f- stumble upon it love it and they learned 
that they should as well not well, share it with the tourists. Well, and that's the thing is like, like oh, channel, I know a cool little spot, but don't worry about my it. My channel spreads more through word of mouth. Yeah. Because like I read my comments and people will be like, hey, my friend showed me this channel. It's not like, oh, this was randomly suggested by YouTube. It's it's like yeah. my friend showed me this channel. Well, that's you're not in the TV guide. That's yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the way I see it, you, you kind of got like two broad approaches. And, and mm. one of them is to go full ham on all of the advertising, all of the connection, all of the, you know, draw people in from everywhere. And you've got this giant wash of a fan base and you'll, you'll bring along a few true fans with that and they might stay behind, you hope, after the fad passes. Right. But you, you're, you're never really sure about that. You never have a, really have a good read on that. And the other way, doing it purely word of mouth, it grows really slowly. It feels really, you know, like... It's organic. Not, it, it, yeah, it doesn't feel successful until it's already successful. We're right. But, but I, it's I, consistent and it's stable and it's, you know, real fans that will stick around. But I'd rather be, I would rather be the local bar. Yes. That everyone knows about. You know why? When you got that phone call earlier, Cobalt, what was the soundtrack to that phone call? The Space Station 13 lobby music. Exactly. Also known as Flip Flap. Flip Flap. Yes. Yeah, Polish yeah. dude. And so, or Nano Trace and theme number two. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And so, that's how I know I have real fans. <laughs> uh, and full disclosure, I may or may not have edited an entire chapter of Text Talks Battle Tech with that song on repeat. It's a great nice. song. Nice. Text it's, sent it to me. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful it's a, song. It's yeah. a great song. It's got a great beat. It's I called wish, Flip Flap on, I, I, on YouTube yeah, for I, Space Station 13. I don't, I don't know how it came about because I, I looked it up once and it's like, I, I tracked it down once. It's it's this incredibly obscure site, like out of the middle of nowhere. Yes. It's like a random yes. track and just in the middle of like some sample website or something. Yeah. Oh, no, but it's that's, that's how I know I have real fans. So thank you, Cobalt. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm glad I could reinforce it. So you were going to ask Cobalt about Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, no, I wanted to know, like, what was your experience playing a Gorn in the setting of Star Trek in the Thunderchild slash Essis universe of things? Because we're not the TV show characters uh, of Kirk and Spock and, you know, Captain Picard. So what was your, what was your experience like? Well, it, uh, it was really interesting to me, but mostly because it provoked the imagination a whole lot. Because, uh, like, you know, I, I was constantly thinking, like, what what are the differences in this character from the traditional setting? Like, what what does he know and not know compared to a Starfleet officer? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it also had me digging up a lot of lore, which... It's it's non-existent, scant but interesting. Yeah. Uh, yes, what what happened to the Gorn hegemony? Yes, and and it, it just you know it, it's one of those things. It's it's stories in the margin, and you start picking at it, and there's just more questions. And then you know the more you pick, the more questions blossom, and it just it, it provokes the imagination. That's why I love things like that so much. Yeah, and I, I think you've kind of captured Star Trek in an essence, where you ask questions like, "Well, was this really the moral choice?" And mm-hmm. people still debate original series episodes. Yeah. You know, like, God, 70 years later, you know, you're <laughs> sitting there going like, holy shit, you know, and that shows it was great. I, yeah. I, and, I mean, yeah. the, the Gorn, as far as, as far as I know, they may as well be that one episode in the original series. And, and yet you have like the, the Gorn hegemony was a major player in, in the, the galaxy at first. Yeah. Then they got, you know, completely absorbed into the Klingon empire. And 
there's just there's just questions about you know who are they how would they react how do they view things was it tainted by the klingons was it tainted by propaganda against one another and or or kirk's encounter yeah you know because yeah, kirk probably was like oh yes i dealt with this man who was a lizard monster yes yeah, sidoc played that up a lot and made me think about that a lot because you know you, you they they were both transported down to this planet just to have a fight and then you know you have to imagine that from the other side where where kirk would be this you know horrible person who came out of nowhere to build a gun out of nothing and shoot this uh captain of ship. gun yeah Th- that would be terrifying yeah. yeah they're like we have claim to this planet starfleet's like oh honey <laughs> 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 um no and I, I yeah no we're good um and uh i was gonna say uh one of my favorite lines that you said in that uh, was in the earlier, I think it was the first one we put out on YouTube, where uh, it was Pablo's character, the uh, uh, Drac, oh, on yeah, the bridge. Tellerite. Yeah, and, he, and they were like, why is all the power browning out? And it's like, I think it's the skinks in the wall chewing on all the spaghetti they think, uh, or the wires they think it's spaghetti. And you're like, yes, it was very tasty. The, the spaghetti, wall spaghetti is very nice. <laughs> and I just kept laughing about that. I'm like, that's fucking brilliant. The wall spaghetti. <laughs> Forbidden spaghetti. I mean, you have to imagine like complete immersion in an utterly alien society. You're just going to kind of start to accept things. You're like, oh, okay, that's, that's what that is. Well, yeah. I mean, imagine if... I put you on a plane and I flew you to like Tokyo. You don't speak language. You don't speak language. No. And I drop you off and I say, okay, uh, here's the room to your uh, apartment. It's paid for. Uh, Here's a monthly amount of money and good luck. (laughs) And so you're you're like, okay, I've got this fistful of money. I need to buy a couch. I have nowhere to sleep on. So you you start walking into places and you're like, is that vending machine got underwear in it? You know, and and you're you're (laughs) like, holy shit, this vending machine also sells eggs. And you're, you're, you know, just an alien in that culture and you start to accept it. You go, these people are weird, but I kind of dig them. Yeah. And like really, really fucking weird things to them could happen to you. And you just be like, oh, well, this culture is weird. Okay. Yeah. You, and I, you wouldn't I even notice. Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to know because I don't think we've ever asked you what, you, what you've done. Because we've heard from almost everyone except for Psydoc, pretty much. Well, Psydoc likes everything. That's in his nature. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get him to break. We'll break him. We'll break <laughs> him. We're going to break you, Psydoc. <laughs> he, was, he was going to actually come down uh, when yeah. Dix did, but COVID hit. So yeah. it's oh, disappointing. Yeah, Psydoc will come down. He's, he's an actual medical professional, so unfortunately he's not able to. Yeah. Leave his position. Sidoc is called Sidoc because he's a psychiatrist. So uh, (laughs) the Legion has its own psychiatrist, which is, no, believe me. um, He charges. Yeah, he does. And and, 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 and one of the other (laughs) things. There's no free in this. He does charge. Tan Stoffel. So one of the things I want is I'm actually, when he gets on the podcast, and I I hope he doesn't listen to this one, but. Oh, he does. He uh, pretends he doesn't. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I intend to have him do a psychiatric breakdown of various people from fantasy and sci-fi settings. I like that. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm going to get him to do like a psych workup of like Stefan Amaris. That would be cool. Like yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you we're might f- need to do some prep work, like make sure he gets all the lore. Oh no, I'll, yeah. I'll help him out. I'll be like, <laughs> here is the person in question. Yeah. Give him a little background. He'll just figure it out. All right, so next thing I want to talk about is what I like about Traveler. 
Okay. I know nothing about Trambler. Trambler is a fantastic setting. I've I've had a very brief experience with it, but it it was one of those, uh, what do you call it, where you get the first taste and then you really want to experience more of it. Oh, God. Yeah. It's the books you had uh, were really fucking cool. They'll read through, but I still don't know anything about Traveler. Traveler (laughs) is one part retrofuturism. It's a setting as old as D&D. But and it, it's been through like twenty fucking editions. The mongoose version is considered to be the best one currently. But I mean, there's been a Gerbs version. You know, I, I mean, God, it's it, it's been around so long. There's so many prints of it. Choose whatever you like. But Traveler is a wonderful universe that has a wonderful living wiki that is chock full of amazing shit. I and it believe me, go look up the Traveler wiki if you have a spare day. And you will find thousands and thousands and thousands of entries. And it is a galaxy-spanning game with, I mean, God, if you like retrofuturism or just futurism, you like starships, combat, and travel, it's an amazing game system. Mm. And what's really neat, what I love about Traveler, is that you have two Traveler universes. One is the Traveler universe, the main Traveler universe, which is as written, what have you. And then you have your Traveler universe. And they've embraced that from the get-go. Write whatever you like. Do whatever you like. I've seen Traveler games set under the sea on alien worlds and submarines. I've seen Traveler games that are very much Wild West outlaws on frontier planets. I've seen Traveler games that are set as high intrigue among megalopolises on imperial cities. I've seen Traveler games that are cyberpunk Shadowrun. I've seen Traveler games that are feudal-level crazy techno barbarians traveler is an amazing setting and i like traveler because it's so welcoming but it also invites you to take your pen and make your mark on the game and do whatever the fuck you want and has one of the best character creation systems of all time because you can die in it Oh, absolutely. The, it's, it's, it's harder in the Mongoose version, but uh, it's, uh, the, the character creation can be like a game in and of itself. Like you can easily sit down and say, well, I'm going to roll up a character. And just like that's a night of enjoyment right there. Yeah, and you, like, yeah. you talk about how they turned out because they'll turn out completely different from how you intended, just like, you know, a real person's life. Well, right. And that's the traveler character creation system is you're rolling on tables and so on. So it's not like D&D. Where you go, oh, yes, I make a level five character. Well, I'm going to be a rogue with a little bit of swashbuckling and yeah. what have you. It's rolling on charts. So you'd be like, yeah, my guy, I'm, I'm going to make a guy that's a war hero. And you go into the Navy and you find out that you were like a steward on a ship and you like serve coffee or whatever. And then you get like drummed out of the Navy because you're a fuck up. And then you join like a pirate crew and it's all rolling on all these charts. And then you like get wounded yeah. fighting people boarding a ship. So you're like half a cyborg. And, you know, then you join a freedom fighter group and just it just goes on and on and well, on. One of the characters I created, I, I set out, well, I'm going to make a science man's. We yeah, a science yeah, man's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I started rolling and like almost immediately he flung out of university and so i was like okay i'll keep going i guess this business looks good and he just started doing really well in business he started working up the ranks and i'm I'm like what the fuck is his social standing kept going his money kept going and he just became like this this crazy socialite rich person and i had to completely like reimagine him and create a whole new story for him yeah but that's awesome yeah yeah because it you get these random elements and then you're like okay so he wanted to be a scientist but then then he flunked out of school because he was he, he oh he got a job 
And then he found a taste for money and the finer things in life. And then, oh, yeah. And then he started succeeding in business because he's greedy. And then you start <laughs> building this character and it creates a background. So when you start the game, it's not like, how do I play my character? You have a whole background there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's magnificent. That sounds um, awesome. Uh, going back to the, uh, the the twin universes of it for a second. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to mention that, you know, having the canon universe and your universe, that's something that's like, it, it's implicit in most RPGs where like, you know, it, it's it's kind of just something people do. And, you know, it's, I don't know, opinions vary about it. But the, the, the thing that makes Traveler special is that you can tell that they very strongly intended that. Yeah. It's very obvious. Write your own story. It, it's it's not like D&D where they're like, well, there's the official world or you can homebrew everything separately. It's like, no. But that didn't really happen, you know. Yeah. It, it's just put your own spin on it. And yeah. they've embraced that from the beginning. I think that's beautiful. Um, and another thing, and I'm not sure if you've seen this, Kobold. There's a show called The Expanse that I in, in, in a book series. I'm a, I'm a huge fan it, of it. You, you, have an, you have an Amazon Prime thing? I do. I haven't watched much of it, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, watch The Expanse. Why, yeah, it's watch it's one of those shows that, that sneaks no, it, up it, on it, you. It, it, no, it sneaks up on you. It sucks you in, and then you're like, ah, next, ah, next. <laughs> you're, you're expecting it to be a political drama? It is far from that. No. It has some elements of political drama in there. However, those are the most unimportant parts. Yeah, the the expanse <laughs> it's is so good. is is a beautiful example of what I like to call big scary universe where you don't know what you're fucking with and it just starts getting crazier and crazier and crazier. All that big scary universe stuff that text likes like 40k and all that, mm-hmm. it's there. Nice. Yeah, it's no, no. I, I don't want to ruin the expanse. Yeah, don't ruin it. it. Let's it's, let's yeah it's, watch it. What I love about it is it. big scary universe. <laughs> buy the stickers. It does. <laughs> buy no, buy the no, stickers. I always say that because they're everything in that show has like a nice logo. Like everything, hmm. yeah. including the their coffee uniform. cup you're drinking, that's from the Expanse. Every, I, whoever yeah. does their logo design, you do a fantastic job. Because yeah. uh, it, it's everything, so good. It's everything catchy. in it has got like a nice... Uh, that's, that's like an entire field and like people can dive into that for years and years. And it's so mystifying it just, because, you know, you, yeah. you come up with these logos and they're so simple sometimes, but... Just the slightest change can turn yeah. it into a complete mess, and you're like, what the fuck am I even looking at? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you do my thumbnails. You know. You know. <laughs> yes, this is the man I don't even creates... know how I do it. It's just how it happens. Yeah, but you, you know how yeah. to make it feel like me, which is what I appreciate. Yeah. I'm glad I could do that. Yeah, uh, Texas uh, thumbnail creator is the man across the table from us. <laughs> yeah. So, I want to also talk about the issues with bad sci-fi. Okay. And, and I feel... What's I, bad sci-fi for you? Okay, bad sci-fi. Give us an example so we can start. Okay, so bad sci-fi is is as much as what makes it cool when you're eight, but miserable when you're old. So bad sci-fi is when you blindly follow the rule of cool. One of the examples is lightsabers. So you have a laser sword. Okay. Okay. That's it, a, it, was it, it, would that be a bad sci-fi element or bad like you're talking about like a bad show or television series? No, no, just a bad element. Okay, a bad and, element. And, and, okay. and the reason I, I point out is, okay, you have these guys that are wizards, okay. basically, who, who can choke you from across the room, shoot lightning from their fingers, change your mind, and all these other things. And then, like, the eight-year-old you is like, but they need a sword that's a laser, you know? And you're like, <laughs> okay, he's got a laser sword. And just so happens everyone else has laser guns that don't work on the laser sword. And I know. 
the people out there who are Star Wars people would be like, actually, blaster bolts are Tabata gas. Except, fuck you. And Look, the Mandalorian Wars, when they knew they were coming up against lightsabers, like they cortosis weave. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Believe me, I know a lot about Star Wars. But the, and I, I just don't want to talk about it. But okay. the, the, the thing is, you've got lightsabers. And it's like, okay, so it works on blaster bolts. What, what about like, mm, I don't know, double barrel 12 gauge? Like you, you think actually, you think someone would just go. That, that's actually what I was going to mention. Is like, like at, at one point, I think this is expanded universe or something. But they they were like, oh, we've got these wizards that can deflect all our blasters, and they were like, I've got a gun, and, and he's like, I'm going to deflect the bullet, and then it's just molten lead right into his face. Yeah, it's it it's one of those things where you find little pieces of it that don't fit, and yeah. one of them is. Like in Star Wars, um, I, I forget which of the new ones. I forget which of the new ones, but they did like a uh, light speed hyperspace ramming attack. Oh my god! And, and I was like, "Wait a second! You're telling me that is the first time anyone has ever done that?" Because military intelligence yeah. for years, all the funding, thinking every single strategy they could possibly think of to defeat the other guy, and no one ever said, "Oh, no one will ever light speed ram." And it's it's like I I I think. The reason in my head, the reason that it had not been done in the universe. Well, no, because they had one really good strategy. Hope. Oh, no. fuck that. <laughs> no. Sorry. Fuck that, that. I mean, that, that was like the uh, lamest strategy. Uh, uh, <laughs> Militaries aren't run by logistics and men. It's run by hope. Blazowitz <laughs> would say otherwise. Yes. But no. History would say otherwise. Yeah. Yes. But no, the, the issue I have with it is like the light speed ramming thing. It's like, okay, if anyone ever, in, in my head, the reason why no one ever light speed rammed is because in my head, mm-hmm. my brain says, when you have a hyperdrive, drive into another hyperdrive field or something like that, they cancel out and they don't work. Because Everybody in my head... Does. In my head, it was like, oh, relativistic kill missiles, accelerate something real fast, have it go through another thing. Of course, there would be a light speed weapon. Well, why isn't there one? Because it doesn't work. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and, and that is an example of a thing where, you know, a, a writer could think ahead and, and think of that and say, oh, well, if I make this light speed ram, why haven't they used that in the past? Right. Let me add a small detail in the, in the earlier parts of the movie that just mentions this offhand. Yeah. And then that's explained. The problem is gone. Everything is good. Yeah. You you could say that, oh, yeah, it's almost impossible to do. It requires this insane computation and you have to do all this work to counteract all the safeties in the hyperspace, you know, engine. Mm -hmm. And you have to do all these things. And it's really hard because these engines are not designed to do it. So, I mean, it's a one in a million chance and blah, blah, blah. And and you you mentioned the computations. I know that's already played up in Star Wars as a really tough thing. That's what their little droids are for is these insane hyperspace computations. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's I mean, just rule of cool. When you embrace rule of cool and you surf on that, you make dumb decisions. With uh, with writers, it's like, I don't care. Hey, man, writers, listen, I don't care how many times you put Snoopy on there. It's still a Band-Aid. That's actually well said. Because that's basically what they're doing. They're like, here's my problem. We'll put like some camo on it and no one will know it's a fucking Band-Aid. Well, and here's yes. what I say to that. And here's what I say to that is writers i'm a writer and yeah and and when you sit back in your chair and you go i make hollywood money and i have a nice car and a wife with big fake tits and you know all the glitz and glamour you want and you go i'm a big smart writer and you go 
hey, wouldn't it be cool if the spaceship went real fast and then flew through the other spaceships and they all blowed up? Uh, I'm sorry, but one, you've channeled your inner eight-year-old, and two, you've written yourself into a corner, and you go, how do I pull a deus ex machina out of my ass? And then you don't even think about it. You're like, yeah, I'm smart, because you're huffing your own farts at that point. You've written yourself into a corner, and then rather than think of something creative and interesting to pull it out, you just bullshit your way through it that invalidates so many things. Cobalt. I, I, I would say the the... Probably one of the things that makes a really good writer is you channel your inner eight-year-old and then you know how to channel that and like, you know, shape it into a coherent adult idea. Yeah, right. You you follow the sense and wonder and joy of something and then you go, okay, let's add some smarts into this. Yeah. I, I like the idea of somebody writing like an eight-year-old. But then you have an editor come in and go, here's what's actually happening. Yeah, but no, not well, saying anything, yeah. but you keep the perspective of the eight-year-old. So you have the people doing the laser fights and yeah, sure, why guys not? saving the day. And then you have your alternate take on it from another if, angle of the real, what really happened. Uh, if, if, if you'll let me drag it back to this again, um, yeah. that is what old 40K and old Warhammer feel like yes. to me. Yes. So someone channeled their inner eight-year-old and said, you know, they, they did the Skeleton King. And they're like, yeah. and, and in the Space Marine, they have the gianter weapons. And then somebody said, okay, so they have these gianter weapons. How did these work? What did these do? How did these come yes. about? What are the stories behind right. this? Some, someone took the basic element. Like, wouldn't it be cool if these guys had these 75 caliber rocket guns? Yeah. And the guy's like, okay, let's do some research. Oh, gyrojet weapons. That was a thing in the 60s. Okay. And then you start coming up with ideas to found it in interesting realism a little bit you know yeah, scientific it's, it's still, wonder it's yeah. still a very comic book but yes it's, it's grounded enough that it's not just wishy-washy craziness yeah, yeah you're not making scientists angry so like that's the yeah <laughs> you don't want to make science fiction where you know it they'll, they'll be like that's absolutely wrong or you take an idea that exists uh, and then you go, now you could travel at light speed. And they go, no, that's not what our research says. All right. Well, and that's that's the thing is like lightsabers. I love and hate them because I love the idea of them. But the problem is, is that I like the 40K dis- description that you made of it. Oh, yeah. Well, there there is a lightsaber in 40K in the Lay the World's book for Dark Heresy. And it has like a gas pack on the back because <laughs> it's a plasma <laughs> field. And it's loud. It's deafeningly loud. <laughs> and it can burn you. So you're like... <laughs> and people are like, what? And you're like... I wish you, you have to wear one of those lava suits? <laughs> no, you have to wear like... You know, you've got like earphones on because it's so loud. So you have like two guys about to duel with them. And the guy's like... And you see their mouth moving like, you know, you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you ever, but you can't hear anything. You just hear like the industrial sound. Yeah. And like little bits of it are sparking and dropping and burning your robe and you're like, fuck, this is, oh, it's like holding a sun, you know, Um, it's like an oven in your hands. But no, it's it's like I love and hate lightsaber. I love mm-hmm. the idea of like fucking guys who are Jedi yeah. using a melee weapon because they're monks already and they're doing all this crazy shit. I think that's great. And the sword fights of the prequel movies were so good. Oh, yeah. They were crazy. So fucking good. But then you start going, well, why wouldn't everyone have these weapons? You know what I mean? If they're so common. Yeah. Well, I, I was, I was going to say one more thing about this is um, when, when, when you look at a system that has a, a element like that or, or a setting that has an element like that where it's very rule of cool and when you think about it too much, it breaks down. Yeah. Then that setting matures a bit. Things get weird. 
And yeah. the lightsaber is a perfect example of that because you have, you know, the original series, it's, you know, laser swords. You get in the prequels, you have kind of weird, funky lightsabers. You got this double lightsaber, this one that's a cane and stuff. Now you have fucking lightsaber helicopters and you've got yeah. this guy with this multicolor magic lightsaber and, and you're, you're... He has a lightsaber shield. And, and the, it's the like story... weird. The, the stories people write, they have to write this logic to these new things that wrap around the totally broken and disjointed logic of the original thing. And it just, it gets so bizarre. Yeah, it, and that's the problem also is when you have a lot of writers writing on the same thing and, and you have like 50 writers coming in. And you, so you have the original writer who has an, a vision and then mm. you have like 30 writers who come in after that. They're like, time to make money. And, and, yeah. and, and it just goes <laughs> in 50 different directions. It's like... It's like a horse racing track without a starting gate. And you have these yeah. horses all facing different directions. And it's like, go! And they just take off for the horizon. <laughs> and and so... Man, I, it's just... It, it's a lot of creatively bankrupt people with egos the size of the Hindenburg. Yeah, and well, like even, the Hindenburg... Even if it's not... Uh, sticking to Star Star Wars... Um, I, I I really love the the like tone and style of the original tr- trilogy... But you can't keep anybody's headspace there because it goes immediately into you know the crazy stuff that surrounds war, uh, Star Wars. Well, and, and it's yeah. you know it's it's constraining yourself into the mindset of George Lucas in the original yeah. trilogy. Right, 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 right. And it's it's just well, and that's yeah. that's the thing is that when writers trying to follow shit up, as you'll find in 40K, they they have what we call Marco Millions disease. Are, are you are you familiar with Marco Polo? Somewhat. Yeah. So he, so he, <laughs> so so he goes to Kublai Khan's court, mm-hmm. and and he comes back, and he starts telling Venice about this place, mm-hmm. and he goes, "You got an army of twenty thousand people. This guy has an army of millions." And they go, "Uh huh." And he goes, "Oh, you got like ten thousand chests of gold. This guy has a room full of millions." And he goes, "Oh." You got you got a million people in your court. This guy has a court of millions and millions. So they started calling him Marco Millions because he said everything was millions and millions. Marco Polo was right, but turns out China big. China <laughs> turns out the Khanate was the biggest government ever. And but the thing is, is they started calling Marco Millions. And I find in sci-fi people have Marco Millions disease where they go, "Oh, Space Marines are pretty cool. How do I make better Space Marines? <gasps> Let's make them bigger." Oh man, the the ship's really cool. How do I make it better? What if it was ten times as big? I, and, I, and so yeah. it just becomes that sense of how do I make this better? I make it bigger. And that's that, that that's a problem with uh, I would say stories in general. Um, I don't I don't want to like pick on this in particular but you see it a lot in anime where like every story arc they one-up things they raise the stakes things would be bigger crazier amazing and then you get like the giant turbo super god of death who rules the entire universe and can swipe out an entire galaxy with the you know move his right pinky and you have to fight him with you know bare knuckle punching I, yeah you I'm just kind of lose all perspective well, and then, scope. that's the I'm, problem i'm not really that big in anime for that Neither reason am i, I, yeah, I that's, that's kind of why i shy away from too it's okay but the next thing in sci-fi that i that i find really funny is like the doomsday weapon issue like the Death Star. Oh. And, and, and again, <laughs> it's kind of funny to watch them like trying to come up with new doomsday weapons. Well, right. But okay, you have the Death Star. Okay. Now, now here, here's the thing. The Death Star was a great idea. Like, no, no. You it's, have it's, this station that blows up an entire planet. Holy shit. Yeah. But, and then where do you go from there? Here, right. But here's, ahead, here's the problem. Tex has a background in military history. Mike's giggling. What are you giggling at? 
I'm just, no, I'll make your point and I'll tell you what I'm giggling about. No, no, you go ahead <laughs> and make, why, why Okay, I'm laughing because I'm just reminded of the fact that in in what Stellaris has taught us, that okay, real no, doomsday weapons. No, 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 weapons, no, no, I'm going to get into the Stellaris <laughs> thing next. Real Believe doomsday me. weapons take months to fire yeah, okay. when they're the size of a planet. No, no, we're, we're going to get into that. So, <laughs> so you're just like fucking down there no, like, I got to go to work tomorrow in yeah. Arby's, but there's a planet size fucking killer up there <laughs> so here's here's the anyway issue. go ahead here's the issue is you you have a galaxy spanning empire and this is where texas degree in military history comes into mind you have a galaxy spanning empire meaning each planet can dedicate a percentage of its manpower and material resources to a war machine if called upon and it's an absolute empire it has an absolute ruler it's absolute tyranny and despotism Meaning, if he wants to bankrupt a hundred planets to build ten times the amount of shit, he can do so like that. So, the real super weapon is the Stormtrooper and the Star Destroyer. Because mm-hmm. he can build so many of both that he can just choke a planet in corpses. Well, that's that's like the that that's the lore of the setting that, that everybody just kind of brushes aside and ignores. Is like, he should be able to just... Like you're standing on a planet, you look up, and the sky is black with TIE fighters. Yeah. You can't see any of the you know, sky or starfield. And he can do that day after day after day after week after month after year and not break a sweat because of how big that empire is, which means shit like the rebellion should be so terrifying to be in. So few people would even think about it because the empire. And it would be small. Like yeah. Sex would be tiny. Yeah, because the yeah. empire is everywhere. And they have so many resources, which means if you step out of line, there's 100 special cops coming for you, not one. Because that's just how powerful. Yeah, yeah like a wing of X wings would be like three guys. Yeah, because they're, they're, like, like, they're like the ten or whatever they had in the movie. Yeah, in versus three thousand Tie fighters. <laughs> yeah. And so the problem is, is then they're like, we need to build an ultimate weapon, and I'm like. But why? Because you could just <laughs> park Star Destroyers around orbit of a world instead of going, it blows up instantly. No, imagine Star Destroyers surrounding a planet and then bombarding it for a hundred years. Yeah. Like you find <laughs> generations of soldiers are ferried to and from this enormous fleet to keep shooting at a planet. And they're burning barrels out and bringing new barrels in and rolling them in. Every once in a while you send down like loudspeakers are like, tell us where the rebels are and we'll stop. Yeah, and you just turn the whole planet to ash. And people would be like, yeah, the Empire is a long memory. They've lasted for thousands of years, and they just blow shit up. And the only reason to build this doomsday weapon in secret, doomsday weapons don't work like that. To quote Dr. Strangelove, the whole idea is lost unless you tell everyone. You have a doomsday weapon. You build a secret thing, and planets blow up for no reason. Or I built a giant fuck-off ball that blows planets away like dandelions. If you fuck with me, fuck around and find out. Which is more terrifying? I think the I built the Windex of weapons that just turn shit to ash. That's, 
You yeah, know, yeah. I wouldn't put that on every news channel. It'd be like coming up the 1030 Death Star hour. And it just shows it like <laughs> blowing up something. But every commercial on TV is come visit beautiful Alderaan away. Hey, yeah. Get your timeshare today. Yeah. While it lasts. It, you just have that every 10 minutes. Like uh, just reminding you again, Alderaan has been destroyed because they fucked around. <laughs> Here's the Death Star. And you put that everywhere and people would be like, yeah, you know, uh, fear keeps people in line. I'd really like to live right yeah and to be like we're the empire will torture the shit out of you pay your taxes you know and so doomsday weapons i have an issue with Mm -hmm. because if it's a strategic weapon you keep its capabilities secret because you're fighting someone else who has strategic weapons and you don't want them to know about it Mm -hmm. but if you're building a weapon that's based on fear and terror you need to let people know you have it not just surprise moon <laughs> you know that just doesn't work I, I would think i would think the the ideal reveal for a story would be like the the super weapon doesn't even do anything at all it's just purely an icon see know? that would be interesting you know, they, they they show it. They have all this propaganda. They're building this enormous project, and they're like, "This is going to be a super hyper death laser. It can destroy everything. You should fear it." And they they're just continually, you know, progressing this and showing every step of progress, and everybody's horrified by it. Or even worse, they do all that to get the rebels to attack, and it's a trap. Yeah, it's just a exactly. fucking government it's, work project. It's just they, a giant. They carrier. get in and it's like yeah. balsa wood and canvas. Yeah, it's a work project. It's just a busy project to make shit happen. And yeah. and that would happen in a gigantic galaxy-spanning empire. They, they would have all kinds of projects that are just there because they need to have projects. Yeah, we can send a uh, a, a thing the size of a moon, which, by the way, manipulates mass. Uh, so we're going to send it to your side of the galaxy and destroy you by not firing a laser, but by just fucking having it pass over your uh, fucking planet for a second <laughs> and your oceans all of a sudden, oh man, tsunamis, I hope you don't have a coastal town. That's that, that's another angle you could play up is they could do that. They, they could run a fear campaign economically. They could say, oh yeah, we're going to build a super weapon in your solar system. Your entire solar system is going to be dedicated to this and all of your resources. People would flip out. They would, yeah. they would do anything. They, they would lobby. Them. Like, we'll give you 10,000 babies. Just leave. Yeah. Yeah, no. I like the idea of the Death Star not firing a laser. Just like, oh, you want to fuck around? Okay, we're going to put a Death Star in orbit of your planet that doesn't have a moon and see what happens to the gravity well around it. We're going to drag Venus out of orbit to make a laser. (laughs) Oh, my God. So you just have it orbiting. (laughs) You just have it orbiting this planet, and people are having these horrible storms, and the planet's just tearing itself apart because you just manipulated the gravity around it. And then you have to fire a shot. Yeah, they can put a couple dudes up there. And that that could that could fit <laughs> destroy perfectly. it. See what happens to your planet. That, oh, that yeah. could fit perfectly in with the you know soft cinematic uh, uh, spectacular style of the original trilogy because the Death Star was the Emperor's throne. To yeah, yeah, imagine yeah. a guy with a throne that is a moon, a mechanical moon, and it doesn't do anything else. It's just his throne. Yeah, because he's, he's that like fucking baller. He's like, I can yeah. take resources from all over the galaxy. This and he's whole like, thing's made out of gold. And and he's like, oh, you're going to betray- you're going to you know go against my rule. I'm just going to come visit and watch you for a while, and then he parks up beside the planet and the planet tears itself apart just because he's watching it. Yeah. Imagine how much of a like, you know, domineering, uh, 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 vengeful God that guy's going to look like. Yeah. Because there's nothing you can do. It's a solid mass of like gold or something. You (laughs) can bomb it all day and just put a dent in it. Yeah. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was, it was huge. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, yeah. And, and you're right in that. So, I mean, and again, and then Endor this, would be destroyed because if the Death Star exploded above it and it's the size of a moon and those chunks just decide to land on the planet, I'm sorry, chunks of spaceship falling on a planet and they're like celebrating. And then you just see a firestorm on the horizon <laughs> and the rebellion's like, hey, we got to leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got business. We it's got like, a new it, government it's set like, up. It's like, hey, is that shield generator still work? I think we kind of fucked it. Oh, uh, yeah, we need to leave. Hans <laughs> like, what about the teddy bear? <laughs> Fuck them. They tried to eat us. Fuck these things. Yeah, you see, they're like, hey, oh shit, is that parts of the Death Star? And you see the Millennium Falcon just punch out. <laughs> Han's like, bye, motherfuckers. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> he just gets in the X Wing. He's like, hey, wait. He's like, no, I only got room for one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but so, and, and again, that brings us to Stellaris, and that shows us how like tone deaf Stellaris is because they put in the super weapons DLC or whatever. Yeah. You, you buy your we DLC, you build your super weapon, and I've egged on this a lot, but okay. Kobold, you're sitting at your home. You're on your porch drinking a cup of coffee. And you notice one day there is a new shadow in the sky, one that the sunlight doesn't seem to move so much, and it gets closer and closer and darker and darker, and you realize it's an enormous space station in orbit. And your government tells you, this is an alien race that has come to destroy our planet. And you have a day, a week of depression and anxiety. But after that, you're kind of spent. You're just like, I'm tired of dreading this thing. And the aliens broadcast down, we are going to destroy your planet. And you go, yeah, I know. And, you know, a month passes. And you see, like, an aperture on the bottom of it start glowing. And you're like, oh, cool. Are we going to blow up today? So you sit on your porch and drink that coffee. And you're just watching that glow. You maybe buy a telescope, you know? <laughs> and you're, like, zoomed in on it. And you're like, wow, that's big. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we shoot some nukes at it and it does nothing. And the governments are like, we are going to surrender. And you're like, man, these guys are going to blow this planet up. You well, know? Re really what it is, you, you kind of, when you stretch it out long enough, you, you get time to go through the five stages of grief. You get to acceptance. It becomes just a part of daily life. You're just kind of like, whatever. So, so yeah. So months pass as it gets brighter and brighter and charges it more and more. And at a certain point, you stop dreading. And you're like, well, huh. if I'm going to die. I'm going to die with a Monte Cristo sandwich, you know? So you go out that one day to get your Monte yeah. Cristo, your, your French dip, your, you know. When that happens, no smoking signs are no longer a part yeah, of the oh, issue. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to say, you know what drugs I haven't done? All of them. And you're, you're, you're going to be on everything but roller skates. And, and so here's... And even those. Yeah. And so, and so then it starts firing. You're like, thank God it's finally going off. Everyone's so, having so, a party, like, yeah, a, like so, an Independence yeah, yeah. Day. So at that point... <laughs> well, people would. People would have end-of-the-world parties. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So, so you'd be sitting there having a few drinks, like, fuck yeah, death laser! <laughs> and then it keeps firing. And you're like, day two of firing, you wake up with a massive hangover. And you're like, <laughs> oh, God, why am I not dead? And you go outside and it's bright as fuck. And you're like, come on! <laughs> and then a month goes by. And you're like, dude... Come on. I overdrew my bank account to do all these drugs. I banged all these hookers I bought, and this thing is still firing. Uh, come on. And you're sitting there watching it fire day after day after day, and you start getting mad. You know, you're, you're just like, how do I complain? Yeah. <laughs> and after months, it finally blows your planet up. When it blows up, you're like, finally. Yeah. That is what it's like to play Stellaris with the. Like, yeah. Not even with fucking deadly weapons. That's just what it's like to play Stellaris. Yeah, no, no, it is. 
So um, I'm, I'm going to round this podcast out, bring it to an end. Um, I want to say again, those of you guys who have questions, as a reminder, you can leave audio messages on Anchor FM. And that's probably the coolest thing in podcast interaction. We like hearing the audio messages. Yeah. I think you good. can do it on your phone. I think, yeah, I think you can do it on your phone. So, so like a microphone. Fucking, yeah, just, just get your fire phone. that shit up. Director Crow will definitely not edit it to be embarrassing and weird. Yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah. So, so, so please, 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 please send your questions there and we will work through our history questions. Now, we did have some physical mail come in. I, I have a guy in the Black Pants oh, Legion yeah. who intercepts my mail. Mm-hmm. Um, in case it's a bomb, he's volunteered to die for the cause. So I appreciate it. Uh, we had a physical piece of mail come in, um, from Kerensky's wolves. Uh, and it is a beautiful bit of art. It is, uh, from the headquarters of the Comstar guards and militia office of the commanding precentor marshal in Berkshire Terra. And it is addressed to officer commanding Tex Taxington of the VSFS or Van Zant Free State Militia, uh, the JS Argo, Oregon Reach. And it says, not bad for a bunch of freeborn. Keep it up as blood stains on it and it's dated 2nd September 3049. Sincerely, and uh, Anastasia's folk is crossed out. And it says Kerensky's wolves. And he sent us all the way from jolly old England some fucking awesome stickers that yes. he made on and in and he he made them they're really cool fucking little stickers mm. and it's it's a it's a skull wearing a mac pilot helmet and it's it's really fucking cool and so thank you sir for sending that in and the second thing is um those of you out there who don't know uh you can either check my social media or you can check the community page on Tech Talks Battletech or the Black Pants Legion. Or you can check the community page on my Patreon because I've linked it in all these places. But Eldonius Rex, who yes. helped us out so much with the Mackie Project, sent us in some magnificent art. And the fucking packaging on this is awesome. It's got Urbex on it. It's an urban FedEx, and it says, Neither snow nor rain nor nuclear holocaust stays the Irby courier from its appointed rounds. And it says, Since 2676, he's selling a collection of prints from the Mackie episode. And that's they are. They're, Beautiful. they're gorgeous prints. So he he just sent this to me, and I apologize for tearing this. I hate bad when I tear cool envelopes. And not only that, he made the envelope look official yeah, from no, like no, the Battletech universe. Like yeah. it looks sick. So he sent me two kick-ass envelopes, and he threw in some Irby coasters, which is which is really neat. So he sent in some art, and oh man. Oh, so this is Texas first time actually. Oh, opening it. sad Matar. I didn't ask to be created. Oh, <laughs> Amaris's folly. Wow. He drew that. That is so fucking cool. What, what else is in here? I'm so excited. It's like a kid on Christmas. Oh, dude, he did it in fucking marker. Catabut. Long range butt <laughs> missiles. Oh, that is so nice. That's excellent. That is nice. Okay, what what else we got? God, he did all this. He's a really thoughtful this guy. Is the, yeah, Tex has not opened this yet. So, oh no, the book cover. Oh, Randolph yeah. P. Checkers. Look at that. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Describe what it is. Okay, it says Randolph P. Checkers, author of Love in the Time of Ameris, the last Mackie, and it's an old pulp film book cover. Astray Publishing, complete and unabridged. They left him for dead. Now he's going to make a killing. 
And it says, a very competent accomplishment in the genre by Isaac Heinlein. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he, he nailed that. Oh, and then he showed me this one. This is amazing. It's um, a Draconis Combine magazine print. And he'll he'll, yeah. he'll send you these. Yes. Uh, you, you can buy these. It's like 25 bucks for a pack. And these are really high quality. Um, it's a it's a Draconis Combine uh, poster, and it's done in the guise of an old magazine, and it's a samurai, the magazine for the Draconis male. Hot Amoto Shi, giddy geishas and Vaidluthian armor works. <laughs> but then it also says it was supposed to be a routine raid. Instead, it turned into a massacre that would change the course of history as death came on two legs, and it shows the, the Mackie kicking shit over. That is so amazing. He's such an awesome guy. So, yeah, um, go look up Eldonius Rex or uh, go check out any of the places I put it on because that is a print well worth the money. And did you get another one? Yeah, I did, but that's the Mackie Pack. Oh, okay. And and that has has the stuff I already know it's in it. So I'm I'm so excited for that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Pick that shit up, leave messages where I said, and thank you for the fan art and fan mail. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Text of the Black Pants Legion with Mr. Kobold and Mr. Mike. And remember, you can only actually downvote us on one place, which is Apple Podcasts, so I have to be very careful. Look, if you're on Apple, I mean, you already know the kind of things that are on there. Just a vote us, it's easy. Come on. Yeah. We're, we're in a war for relevance. Please help us. Well, I mean, so is Berkeley Public Library. We're taking them down. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!